Your move, creep. Wish me luck, Freezer. You go, Ben Coco. Dino DMA. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. It's the only thing I know how to do. It's a good looking boy. I'm a member of the Imperial Senate. That's right, boy! Welcome to Earth. You crossed the line. You know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Hello everybody, welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about older movies. We talk about how they were made, how they were received, and whether or not they hold up. I am Austin. And I'm George. So, we got a really interesting movie this week, Austin. So, Valentine's Day is around the corner. Actually, we're like a week out of recording. And this was actually a request, from someone, I believe so, right? Yes, some somebody requested it for their birthday, which is in May, but I I was really excited to talk about this movie. I didn't want to wait. So this is an early birthday present for, for that listener out there. <laughs> Perfect, excellent. I love it when people send over movies because they just want to, sh- like, they want to share their love for the movie and, like, let us in on it. And I, I'm always, I always love that. I like it when people like, hey, like, you should check this movie out. I love that. Mm-hmm. And this is an interesting one because <laughs> I have a funny, funny bit of history with this movie. But awesome. I think it ties in beautifully with this month. Valentine's Day is around the corner. There's a super romantic film. You know what? What more timely than that? So <laughs> maybe, maybe not the best romantic film, but it is uh, romantic. Yeah, it is romantic. Yeah, but it's like not not a like a yes. We should all be like this guy. You know? <laughs> Well, see, that makes no sense to me. So I'm curious to learn what that means. This this episode, we are talking about the 2004 Joel Schumacher movie adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the Opera, starring Gerard Butler and Amy Rosen. Also in this movie is Patrick Wilson and Minnie Driver. Minnie Driver? Why does she sound familiar? She's in... um. The Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> oh, she's, gotcha, gotcha. She's in a lot of things. She's in Gross Point Blank and uh, a bunch of other stuff. But. Okay. We got another musical here. And mm-hmm. the kind of inside joke, not inside joke, is that I say that I'm not really a fan of musicals. But every musical that we've covered so far, I've fallen in love with. We've done Little Shop of Horrors, which is fantastic. Love that movie. Uh, what else have we done? What other musicals have we done? The Rocky Your Horror mem- Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show. That was my first time watching it. And I love that movie as well. The music. I still have it on my playlist. <laughs> I still listen to that. I listen to Hoppatootie. Bless, bless my soul. My soul. I yeah. really love rock and roll. And now this is going to, now we're going to add this. Now here's the thing about Phantom of the Opera, right? And look, I'm not trying to talk down. Or I'm not trying to be the, the end all be all of movie opinions, but... Phantom of the Opera has not been well received. Or, well, it kind of has a mixed following, I believe. Yeah, I think th- there's a lot of people that really like it. But when it was in theaters, it did not get the best reviews critically. And I think there are some people who love the musical, but they saw the movie version and they heard Gerard Butler singing the Phantom songs and they were like, uh-uh, no, <laughs> he's bad. <laughs> that's actually a good question does he actually sing in the movie yeah or he actually he sings he oh, sings he's actually singing yeah oh okay see i don't i'm not too familiar with that i know gerard butler from rom-coms and from like the olympus has fallen trilogy mm-hmm. so are the actors in the film actually singing or is it just gerard butler i think they're all singing 
I'm pretty sure they're all singing gotcha. for better or so, worse. So I'm going to take it that you've actually seen this movie. I have seen this movie. Yes. Okay. Talk to me a little bit about it and your interaction. When did you first see the movie? Uh, I first saw the movie maybe three, four years ago or something. I think it was after I had moved in uh, with Liana, who was on our last episode in My Neighbor Totoro. And she was like, oh, I love this movie. And she was like watching it. And I had never seen it before. I just knew the reputation. And I was like kind of watching it out of the corner of my eye. And I was like, wait a minute. This song's kind of cool. And I like this this production design. Let's start the movie over. And I'll watch it with you. <laughs> um, but I had heard about it before. I'd heard people say that it was... Uh, one of their favorite movies. I knew someone else who learned English by watching Phantom of the Opera. No way. Yeah. And <laughs> That's <laughs> and so cool. I know people that, that did not like it because of Jared Butler, but I don't know. When I was watching it, I was like, okay, this is really cheesy. It's really extra, but I love how extra it is. And mm. then I found out it was directed by Joel Schumacher. And Joel, Joel Schumacher, I... I think he's a really interesting director. I feel like people got really mad at him for ruining Batman. But oh my goodness. I don't think... I like Batman Forever. All right, that soundtrack. Find me a better soundtrack for a movie. You can't. You can't. Thank you. All right? <laughs> the Lost Boys, too. He directed The Lost Boys. That's like mm -hmm. a, a classic piece of cinema. All right? It's, it's, it's a classic. All right? It started the whole... It was one of the first like vampires are sexy again movies you know it it predates interview with the vampire i don't know he's got like a really some really interesting movies he's got some bad ones you know but who doesn't i've never actually seen the lost boys i know Kiefer sutherland is in it which mm -hmm. i love him from 24 and i know of the sexy jazz man the saxophone guy mm -hmm. and he's like covered in baby oil and stuff i love him <laughs> so i've always wanted to see the lost boys and i I agree with you 100%. Joel Schumacher did not ruin Batman. Like, look, I love The Dark Knight as much as the next person. I love all the Batman movies. Like, they all mean something to me. And that includes Forever and Batman and Robin. Like, okay, sure. Have they held up over the years? Maybe a few things haven't. Are they campy? Yes. But that's the point. That was the intention going in. And I love them. I, those were the Batman movies I watched, like, over and over and mm -hmm. over. And Val Kilmer is still one of my favorite Batmans. And he has the best Batmobile. <laughs> like, oh, and the soundtrack is amazing. I mean, look, the score goes to Tim Burton. Or, uh, you know, the best score goes to Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer. But the soundtrack for Batman Forever is incredible. And there's no song that I could think of that's better suited for a film than Kiss from a Rose by Seal. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. Oh. Have you seen Ingrid Goes West? Okay, I don't. I don't know if you remember, but I did watch it, and you gave me a funny tidbit about that movie. <laughs> this is. I think this was one of the first things that we actually started bonding over. Uh huh. Because I told you that I watched Ingrid Goes West, and you were like, "Do you know in that scene in the car where it's uh, Ice Cube's son and uh, Audrey Plaza?" I, I, oh, no, Jackson. O'Shea, ja O'Shea Jackson. They're borrowing O'Shea Jackson's car, and in the movie, that guy loves Batman. And he has the Batman Forever soundtrack in his car, right? But it is like a lower budget movie, so they couldn't get the rights to play Seal's Kiss from a Rose. But there's a, a moment in the movie when Aubrey, uh, Aubrey or Audrey? I don't know. <laughs> where, where Plaza and um, Olsen. Jackson. No, it's, it's uh, Olsen. 
Oh, she's, she's in the car too. Yeah, she's. They're both singing in the in the car, and she, she's she's. They're playing a song that's like an R and B song, but it's like, what if that was "Kiss from a Rose"? Originally, it was supposed to be, and ah, uh, I, I love that movie. It's I still love that movie. I remember because she was making fun of him for loving Batman. And he's like, Batman's the best. Like, well, mm-hmm. how can you talk smack about Batman? Yeah. And, it, and when you said that, I was like, oh, it makes so much sense that it was supposed to be Kiss from a Rose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, dude, like, the, the legacy for those Batman films are awesome. And here's the thing. I love greedy Batman, but I do miss campy Batman. And we're <laughs> never going to get another campy Batman ever again. And I'm just like... Yeah. <sighs> one day well, we'll go hey, back and, and do batman forever i think oh no no yes we i think if we're ever gonna do like our first batman film should be like forever or batman and robin like i love the dark knight we need to do that at some point but forever needs to come first i think because i think i so have too. so much to say about that movie i feel like that's the first batman movie that i saw as a kid that i could remember but uh that's what the, yeah joe schumacher's had a very interesting career he, he has he is an interesting guy, and I mean, like, he's done a lot of stuff that I was like, oh, he did that? The, the thing about Joel Schumacher is that he doesn't really have, like, a distinct style. He's like a chameleon. He just kind of, like, camouflages wherever he's at, you know, it, whether it's, like, a sci-fi thriller or, like, superhero film or, like, a courtroom drama with, like, uh, what was it, uh, that the, the Matthew McConaughey one? A Time to Kill? A Time to Kill, yeah. And... So he's like a chameleon, and I'm really curious to see what he does with Phantom of the Opera, because this man will go big, and I've seen him go big in all those films. I want to see him go big for a musical. <laughs> yeah, I think he goes pretty big in, in Phantom of the Opera. It's like, I think if, if anything is it holds up, it's the set design, and it's the electric guitar added to Phantom of the Opera, like the title track. Oh, it's so good. I feel like there's a reason... That the movie soundtrack is more listened to than the original, like, theatrical really? production. Yeah, on Spotify, anyway. <whistles> people, oh, people would rather listen to Gerard Butler's uh, questionable vocals than the uh, opera-trained singer do it. <laughs> not, it's not really opera. It's, it's like Broadway. And this kind of gets to why I'm so curious about it. Because, like, I'm not a big musical guy. I can't tell you who's a good singer or not. Like, I could tell you, like, yeah, sure, Beyonce can sing. But that's obvious. Like, Beyonce can obviously sing. But if I went to a random person out in the street and I was like, sing for me, and they sang, like, I don't know whether to say that they're a good singer or not. I'm musically challenged. <laughs> I've ha- I have bad pitch. So I can't judge the music. Musicals aren't really my thing. Like, the, f- the movie structure and format. Joel Schumacher isn't one of my favorite directors. I mean, I like him, don't get me wrong, but he's not, I'm not too familiar with his filmography. I just know a few stuff here and there. So I really have no idea kind of what to expect. You have critics say they dislike it, but you have audiences who love it. And I know other girls, and I'm saying girls because it was like in middle school and high school that loved this movie. Like Mm -hmm. they loved the shit out of this movie. My girlfriend, my first girlfriend in high school, (laughs) you know, during that whole cupcake phase, she was like, this is my favorite movie. And she let me she lent me Phantom of the Opera, (laughs) like the DVD. But you said you never watched it. I I did it. (gasps) (laughs) I never did. (laughs) I never watched it. (laughs) And I feel like and she did. No, she found that. I think she found that and she kept giving me shit about it. Uh, but I never watched it because, again, I was like, "Am I like, ew? No, it's a musical." Like, oh I agreed to watch it at first because I was like, "I love you, babe," 
But like later on, I was like, I don't care about musicals. So I've never seen it. I, I'm pretty sure I gave her back her DVD. Without watching it. Oh, my God. Before you broke yeah. up or after? Oh, I can't. Re- I think maybe after, actually. Okay. So and we that dated makes... for like. Okay. Yeah. I think afterwards, but. Because I feel like there's a period where like when you break up with somebody, you don't want anything to do with them. So like, of course you wouldn't watch the movie then. Uh, well, look, I'm I'm really curious to see what this movie's like. Actually, finally getting around to seeing it, I have no idea what to expect. And I know I've said that before, but I really don't know what to expect with this one because you have audience and critics who don't agree. And look, sometimes critics can be full of shit, and sometimes audiences can be right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you don't know who, so you really have to just watch and make your own opinion about it. Or you have to like understand what your flavor profile is, right? Like this is yes. a very this is a movie directed by somebody who's known for being very extra, very campy. Like, if, if anything, that, like, I know that George just said that he's a chameleon. But, like, there's something that The Lost Boys, Falling Down, Batman, and this movie all have in common. They're very campy and over the top. And if that's something mm. that bothers you, you might not like the movie. But if that's something that you can enjoy and makes you laugh, you will probably enjoy this movie. <laughs> And see, and I'm okay with being in that territory, but because it's a musical, it it could irritate me. I mean, it, it very much well could, just because I'm not totally in love with it. When an action movie does it, I'm okay with it, because I love action. Or when superheroes do it, I don't care. But a musical's already, like, you know, walking on a tight rope thing for me. <laughs> I, I don't know. But then again, I love I love the Rocky Horror and Little Shop of Horrors, and those aren't exactly a sound of music. Yeah, they're pretty campy. I think you'll. I think you might enjoy this movie. Yeah, I'm really curious. If if not, we'll definitely find something to talk about. So if you're a fan of this movie, you're not going to be offended by the rest of the episode. <laughs> no, no, no. We don't. We don't. We don't want to. Look, man, it takes a lot of work to make this stuff. We don't. We don't want to come in here and absolutely shit on something. No, we try to. We give our honest opinion. But I mean, I'm sure there's a lot. Of good stuff to talk about you know now as a whole will i will i like it i don't know but hey we we always find the good and the bad mm-hmm. so i'm i'm positive we could do the same for phantom of the opera and i am excited i really am because now i'm putting this mystery i mean me and her <laughs> dated we started dating in 2009 how long is that 2012 minus 2009 or 22 minus 29 or minus 9 what is that uh 14 years ago. 14 years ago so i'm finally (laughs) gonna put this mystery from 14 years ago to rest how does jorge feel about phantom of the opera but this this movie didn't come out in 2009 this movie came out in 2004 so this is this movie's almost 20 years old now wow 20 wow i feel so old now (laughs) let's go back to 2004 so we can all feel old together number one at the box office in 2004 was Shrek 2 with almost a billion dollars worldwide. Whoa. Number two, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Love that movie. Number three, Spider-Man 2. Number Number three. Number three worldwide, yes. Number four, The Incredibles. Number five, The Passion of the Christ. Number six, The Day After Tomorrow. Number seven, Meet the Fockers. Number eight, Troy. Number nine, Shark Tale. Number 10, Ocean's 12. Also coming out this year, National Treasure, iRobot, Van Helsing, The Bourne Supremacy, 
Howl's Moving Castle, Million Dollar Baby, The Aviator, and let's do a random one. Dodgeball, A True Underdog Story. Oh, I rewatched that movie recently. It's so good. I love it. <laughs> oh, too. Uh, the Notebook and White Chicks also came out this year. <laughs> whoa! I, you know what? I'm gonna say it. 2004 is good. Is definitely gonna be a year that we revisit because mm-hmm. we're going to for Spider-Man Two. Right. That Harry Potter one with Alfonso Cuaron is is incredible. Like that's my first exposure to. Alfonso Cuaron and I love him. Two years after 2004, and he would direct one of my favorite films of all time, *Children of Men*. You've got *White Chicks*, which I'm sure has not aged well, but that movie is <laughs> hilarious. *Dodgeball*. I recently watched it. It's so good. I love yeah. that movie. A lot of movies came out this this year. A lot Dude, of yeah. the Hell Kung Fu Hustle, *Hellboy*, *13 Going on 30*. Oh, <gasps> oh, that is a movie we're gonna do. I, I know for a fact we are going to do 13 going on 30. Wow. I got a, I got, I got some interesting takes about it. Yeah, and it, throughout all these movies, uh, Phantom of the, the Phantom of the Opera placed 35 worldwide, above Kill Bill Volume 2. No way. Yeah, by like a $500 million worldwide. Wait, 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 wait. 500,000? 500,000. Yeah, 500,000, yeah. not 500 million. That that's more than both of these movies made combined. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Whoops. Five hundred thousand. Okay. Number thirty-five. Hey, look. That I mean, w- was this movie considered a flop when it released? Uh, well, let's. If you go to the budget, it did cost a lot of money to make. The budget is between seventy and eighty million, and the box office return was one hundred and fifty-four million. But as I said, the soundtrack for this movie was very popular. I feel like it's generally people's preferred version, at least on Spotify. Mm. Like if Spotify is any metric to to judge what people like to listen to, it, it's their preferred version of the Phantom of the Opera. So and gotcha. this movie was popular, like people owned it, you know, so maybe it made a lot of its money back on the home video release. So I feel like maybe it was a success. That's a, that's actually a really good point. I'm actually curious to see how successful this movie was. That's something we could probably do a re- little bit of research on. It's kind of like, again, back in 2004, there was no streaming. Everything was VHSs and DVDs. You know, DVDs were like the big thing. And that's how a lot of studios made their money as well. Like this, the DVD purchases, right? And the rental. Like those were big ways. Those were big ways of studios being able to recoup more money Mm -hmm. uh so while maybe a film might have flopped in theaters it might have totally killed in vhs you know the the metrics for success are all over the place when it comes to movies you know you could be like a rocky horror picture show where you could still be in theaters to this day still making money Mm -hmm. and so the ultimate gross is god knows and you could have a phantom of the opera where sure ticket sales might have might have not been great but if you're counting DVD, VHS rental purchases, that could be a lot. This is a popular uh, production, it being like the the play being in Broadway, mm-hmm. and you have the soundtrack. Yeah. So, hey, this movie might have been a bigger hit than we were giving it credit. Yeah, and we could all, we could all always look into that specifically. Um, but what what areas do you think you want to look into when we come back with the more research part of the episode? Well, number one, the, su- the the success of the movie. That's just kind of like I'm in my head right now, just thinking about it. I'm curious to see how similar it is to the actual play. Mm-hmm. 
you know, how how similar it's aligned. And one thing I am curious is how the play was received as well, right? Mm. Because because yeah. because the play might have been was received like let, let's just say the play was good. Like let's say the play was phenomenal, but the movie right. was bad. So there was something wrong in the translation from play from theater to film. Or was maybe the play a, 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 an amazing success, but it was an okay show, you know? And 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 so the movie didn't really improve on that? Or was the movie an improvement? And the play just hot garbage, but it was really <laughs> successful. I don't... I See, that's the thing. I have no, no real bearing on how good the play was. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of curious to see how similar this movie is or how how faithful it is to the material and how the play was received and kind of what fans of the theater play think of the film. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber is also the the person who wrote uh, musicals like Jesus Christ Superstar, Evita, and Cats. Most recently, <laughs> I was, was going to say. I mean, I've never seen Cats. People like Cats. I've heard of it. E- even since I was a kid, I knew about Cats. Yeah. Right? I knew I never wanted to go see it. It's just kind of a weird musical, but like, uh, there are people, people who love it. like musicals don't like cats, but people do love this movie enough to make a movie with a bunch of A-list celebrities in the movie. So, well, see, look, people could like cats, but I feel like there was something wrong in the translation from theater to, to movie to film, and I think it's I think the thing that's most obvious about it is the the literal translation of cats, mm. you know, that I think threw a lot of people off, but. I mean, there are no cat humanoids here in Phantom of the Opera. Right. So is it how faithful is it? Is it well done? I'm kind of curious to see that reception and also just the general making of because Joe Schumacher is known for his bombastic sets. They're larger than life. I mean, just look at the man's interpretation of Gotham. You know, you you had Tim Burton's Gotham that was super gothic. And then you had Joe Schumacher come in and just make a metropolis built by the gods. <laughs> you know, what's he going to do? With this, you know, with a, I'm imagining it's an opera. It's but not. I it's a, Josh- It's the Phantom of the Opera, but the music isn't necessarily like opera music. Like there's some of it is, but like the Phantom of the Opera song is. I wouldn't. I don't think that that's like an what you would think of when you hear opera music. You know, mm. there's definitely some tracks that are more opera than others. But I don't know. Maybe we can get into that. <laughs> yeah. And I can't help but kind of see this through the lens of, like, Bram Stoker's Dracula, since mm-hmm. we just recently talked about that film. Yeah. It's not a musical, but it seems like Francis Ford and Joel Schumacher kind of, like, took the source material and was like, I want to make it bigger than what it is. You know, yes. I want to be gaudy. Yes. And I'm kind of curious to see this movie through that lens of having seen Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. Because, like, I think Bram Stoker's Dracula had a budget of $50 million, right? Yeah, which is, like different from how much you know the, the 40 million it says but like it's ah, it's it's hard to to say how much money that is now without putting it through an, a, a calculator or something but i feel like 70 to 80 million dollars for a musical is a lot of money in 2004 mm-hmm. absolutely we could even go back and, and compare and contrast some other musicals that came out that year and see whether or, or how they were budgeted oh i love that I love that. That's a good, and that way we can gauge. Because if every other musical is like cost ten million, twenty million, mm-hmm. then we know that they went to town on this movie. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm really curious. I think this is going to be really interesting. I'm really curious. 
but I'm I am pumped. I'm pumped to see this. Me too. All right. So we will see you. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Before that, before that, we got we got to let the people know where can we find this movie? The Phantom of the Opera is streaming on YouTube, Apple TV, Redbox, Voodoo for 4.99. It's I'm seeing that it might be on Amazon Prime, so if you are a Prime subscriber, you might be able to watch the film with your subscription to Prime. Let me let me check. There is no, there is a rental fee. Oh. Okay. Well, it's a, it's about $4 to rent online, which you know, it's it's not that bad. About movie tickets about to get more expensive. I I just heard AMC is about that? to charge. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Oh my god, that'd be a really good that'd be a really good topic for our monthly episode. This oh, month yes. in movies. What an excellent plug there, because we <laughs> we just started our Patreon. We're trying to get a few episodes recorded so that when we debut, you'll have stuff there as soon as you put down the two dollars for. To become the a popcorn pal for five dollars you get like maybe one episode more a month at the premium popcorn pal level and then at fifteen dollars you get nothing more than those other two levels except <laughs> hey maybe austin and jorge can like go see a movie and review it for this for their uh, modern great series maybe but the you know having a podcast is kind of expensive so <laughs> it might just pay to keep the wheels turning but this this regular format will always be free wherever you get your podcasts all right so we will see you in one minute lot 666 a chandelier in pieces some of you may recall the strange affair of the phantom of the opera gentlemen Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Retrograde Podcast. We have just finished watching Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera from 2004. I've seen this movie before. George has not. So, George, how did you feel about watching this movie? Well, Austin, really the only thing that I thought of after watching this film was, God damn it, I wish we will watch a musical that I disliked. <laughs> <laughs> I keep I keep saying that I hate me not hate musicals I dislike musicals and yet every musical we've watched or I've seen on my own I've enjoyed <laughs> on the podcast this is I think our third musical and we've been three for three I really enjoyed this movie I think it's cool I think it's awesome I think there are certain well, aspects Willy Wonka counts as a musical right uh I mean yeah okay well, let, let's say if, it is if La La Land counts fucking Willy Wonka counts okay <laughs> okay very true and I do love La La Land okay so we've been four for four then because I've loved and what's interesting is all four of those movies I 
hadn't seen Willy Wonka or Charlie and the, no Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it. I'd only seen the Tim Burton one. Uh, the other two, Little Shop of Horrors. Rocky Horror mm-hmm. Picture Show, and now fan of the opera. See, doing this podcast, I have widened my film palette, and I can say mm-hmm. I'm enjoying musicals more than I ever have. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh... I think the I think the movie's awesome. Now, would I say it's a good, good movie? Uh, not entirely. Like, I think Rocky Horror. I think the other three are good movies, right? Like, those are good, well-made movies. I would argue, fan of the opera. I think is enjoyable now i wouldn't i wouldn't say this i want to say it's a bad movie i do Mm -hmm. think it tends to kind of reside in the melodramatic aspect of it a little too much you know Mm -hmm. uh and it and i think it might maybe lean too hard into campiness sometimes Mm -hmm. but overall the music was entertaining i was invested i thought the ending was really sweet I was intrigued by the world and by the premise and kind of, and I was laughing at certain parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a lot of parts in this movie that still make me laugh. And it's like, it's not like stuff that's supposed to be funny necessarily, but it's just so extra that like, how, how could that not be funny? You know, how could you, like, I feel like there's, there's stuff in this movie that if you laugh at it, you, you're going to enjoy the movie. Yeah. But the, that same stuff can make people roll their eyes and those are the kinds of people that probably don't like this movie. <laughs> no, I think if I had seen this when my girlfriend asked me to, I would not have liked it. Because it's definitely mm-hmm. melodramatic. It is campy. And it's a it's a musical. It's a proper musical. Like, they sing, yeah. like, 70% of the script. Or 70% of the script is sung. Uh, so Yeah, maybe even more than that. And I think on the first part of the podcast, I said that The Phantom of the Opera isn't really an opera. But, like... I couldn't really find an explanation as to why that is. It had been something I had heard. And I was like, kind of, sometimes I'll say stuff on the podcast and I'd be like, wait a minute, was that actually true? Did I just make that up? And I'll like go back and like, sometimes if I'm editing the episode, I'll like, okay, I'm going to cut cut that out. Cause like I was talking on my ass there. And, and I was wondering, was that one of those times? But like, it's something that a lot of musical and opera people say, but they can't really define it like explicitly it's always like i'll i know it when i hear it well opera? at least from what i've read yeah opera okay so by because i think by definition the opera uh is a musical where where the music and lyrics motivate the plot or, or, or oh. move the plot forward and everything is sung also then this technically could be a, an opera i th- i think i think it is but it's one of those things where it's like you know people who like the opera don't like I don't think they like people referring to Phantom of the Opera as an opera. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I don't know. It's it's like, it's opera adjacent, I think. Well, I think it's, it kind of points to the fact that this is kind of like a, a, a hybrid. Because when I think of yeah. opera, or at least someone who doesn't know theater and musicals that well, that's kind of my interpretation of it. Because, yeah, when you said opera, like they don't really sing opera. When I think of opera, I think of, oh. Yeah, you think of Car- Carlotta, right? But the yes. the movie kind of makes fun of Carlotta a lot. It does. <laughs> but there there's a lot of singing and if and I mean, they're singing I was saying 70%, but you're probably right. Like it's more than that. So does that technically make it an opera? I don't I don't know. I really get I guess only like real musical theater nerds can really weigh in on it. As someone who is not, I can't really make a comment on it, but if you if you're listening out there and you can tell us 
why the Phantom of the Opera isn't really an opera in like a, a concrete like definition that we can then apply to other things and I correctly identify them as operas and not operas. Let us know because I, I could not find a definitive definition for what an opera is that can apply to every single piece of like musical theater or whatever you know well it could be one of those cases where it's because it's a genre right and genres Mm -hmm. can be kind of foggy cloudy you can't really define it you know like yeah sure we have the action genre we have musicals and there are kind of basic things that need to be in a musical but sometimes you'll have a scenario where it's like an evil dead where it's like this is a horror but it's funny uh i don't you know horror comedy horror comedy right but but typically when you're thinking of a horror film you're not really thinking too much on the comedy aspect but you'll right. again, that's not every movie. You have an Evil Dead and genres blend and mix. And what I think is interesting is that this movie has a very strange. It's had a strange reception to it because some people mm-hmm. really love it, some people hate it, some people think it's an opera, some people think it's not, some people think it's good, good, some people think it's good, bad, and some people think it's trash. It's kind of all over the place, and I yeah. think it's kind of that's kind of the like the response that maybe something that's kind of not well defined perhaps will get if if that makes sense because maybe opera people are expecting an opera and by opera i mean (laughs) but that's not what they're getting right if that's the case then they might be disappointed if you're expecting romance there's a lot of music in this and you might be thrown off by that i i don't know it's kind of up in the air uh, but yeah. as I could I could say that as someone who again isn't a musical musical guy, I'm not really into theater. I don't think I've ever I think I've been to like maybe two plays. Oh wow! In my Even life. at in UCI, you didn't go to the plays there. Oh, I I think I went to like at UCI like maybe three or four, so maybe like six in total. Mm-hmm. Uh, in mm-hmm. my life, like four from UCI and two outside of UCI. But like I've I've never been to Broadway. I don't my theater I've been at been to has been out here in California, so it's not even real proper Broadway, you know, or I think so- that's part of the reason why I like this movie so much is that it's not it isn't like that that like high art that's just like in Italian and if I want to understand the story I have to like read the program. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like some some of that stuff is just very hard for, you know, people like me with I don't know, people like what even people like me means. Mm-hmm. Maybe like a more general audience. Like I feel like it's harder for a general audience to appreciate stuff like opera. Well, I guess a lot of the subtleties and the art form of opera would probably go over our heads and we'd probably wouldn't get it. It, you mm-hmm. know, it really would be wasted on us, you know? And it's <laughs> yeah. like, this is, I'm sure a lot of work went into this, but I don't really care. Cause I'm not really engaging with it on, on a personal level. And maybe just cause I don't get it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and I think you're right. This movie is aiming for kind of mass audiences and yeah. I think it succeeds, you know? I think so too. I, I think that's it's it makes it so that we don't need all of that other stuff to, mm-hmm. to enjoy it. But I think it does annoy a lot of people who are really invested in in musical theater and uh, they, they like studied music and everything. And it, yes. I think it bothers them. But like, uh, it's we'll get into it. We'll, we'll get not, into it. And, and I'll say this. That's a fair response. If it re- if you really are like very into this world and something like Phantom of the Opera bothers you, like I get that from that angle, absolutely. It really does seem like this is kind of mass 
audience entertainment, which isn't to knock the film down, but it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. That I I think there's there's something that uh I was I was playing Apex a few days ago with some friends, and one of them he he just he just kept saying stuff that just sounded like off, like that's not a properly constructed sentence, and uh. The other guy was kind of like making fun of him for it. And he just, and he responded with something that I think will come into play a lot during our episode here. He said, listen to what I mean, not what I'm saying. And I, I think that's going to come up a lot during this this episode oh, when we talk about what, this Say movie. that again? Listen to what I... Huh? Listen to what I mean, not what I'm saying. I like that. And like in, in the moment, it was like really funny, but I'm like, actually, that is a great quote and mm-hmm. i forgot i forgot who said it i know it was with buddy zach i was playing with my buddy zach wolf on twitch and oh, i forgot who said it it was the other guy but that was that, that was a great line that i was thinking about while doing some of the research for this movie and stuff but uh so george you you love the movie yeah i have a few gripes i do have a few gripes mm-hmm. with it um it is a very i think it's an imperfect movie Yes. Uh, there's there's one part that I think is really bad. Like it it's like racist kind of, not kind of. It is racist, but the the rest of it I I do really love. Like there's there's parts of it where it's like I remember when I was like Bianca was watching it and I was like kind of watching it from the side, you know, like not really like paying attention to it. And then there's like one scene that where I was like, wait a minute, I want to watch this movie now. <laughs> And it still it still has like a hold over me that that scene when they sing like the title track. I'm not sure the moment that you're referring to. Well, we'll talk about it. I do have a couple of issues, mm-hmm. and it really just stems from my background, just not being in love with all this music and stuff, like like musical elements. And there's a few story elements that kind of I think are funny, but not for the best reasons. <laughs> but again, no, I I did enjoy. It. I did enjoy the movie, and I think if you're, like, a young girl, which I don't really want to get all, like, like only girls like this, or boys, like, I don't really like doing that, but I could definitely see the appeal that this movie would have for, like, young, like, just women in general, but also, like, high school. Like, I could see why my girlfriend was really into this movie <laughs> at the time. Um, okay. And I can understand why guys, like, my age would not get it, but... I think if you're more willing to to try film to watch them, you know that's what this whole podcast is about. Then I'd recommend it. I think it'd be really cool. You know, it's well made, and there are some really cool things that happen in the film. Like, oh, that was awesome. So, yeah, this movie has so much personality. And yes, it's, uh, one thing that that I was reading in the reviews, uh, we'll get into it later, but uh, I we will get into the story of the movie for those of you who haven't seen the movie or maybe you've seen it a long time ago just to give like a frame of reference to what we're going to talk about this is the part where we will get into the spoilers and everything so if you haven't seen phantom of the opera uh you can pause here go watch the movie or you can listen along with us um and before i get into it shout out to nikki who or yeah she calls herself nikki so shout out to nikki who recommended this movie to us on our retrograde underscore pod Instagram account. Uh, I know your your birthday is later on, but like I was really excited to talk about this movie and like Valentine's Day is coming up and this is kind of a romantic movie. So we did it today. I hope that's okay. Yeah. Happy early uh, birthday. Thank you for sending that in. 
Uh, we appreciate it. I, I appreciate it a lot. Okay. So the Phantom of the Opera takes place in, it's kind of a frame story, right? So it it's like a, a flashback. Everything's all grainy. It looks all old timey. The date says 1919. And there's this like old Paris, uh, old opera house in Paris that's having an auction. And like this old guy comes in, he's bidding for this like weird monkey with symbols on it. And he's bidding against this uh, older woman and he, he ends up winning it. And they kind of they look at each other like they know each other. And then the auction keeps going on. And, and then they're like, all right, lot 666. This is the chandelier from the, the strange affair of the Phantom of the Opera. They unveil the chandelier. And then you hear like the, the classic like, dun, 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 dun. it rises and it kind of brings color to the film. Like the little lights on the theater stage, they light up and it brings in color. And the the cobwebs on the theater seats, they like disappear. And it you can see like the really luscious reds. And then we go back to 1870 and we see this like theater troupe, you know, getting ready to do a, or like doing their rehearsals uh, for a play. Our main character is Christine Daye, who is a ballet dancer. Uh, and she has this like childhood crush, Raul, who is going to be one of the new like big patrons for this opera house that they that she lives in with her theater troupe. The star of their crew is Carlotta, who's played by Minnie Driver. She's a, a diva. So like the new owners of the theater are Richard and Giles, and they're they're kind of like don't really know what they're getting into, and. Right away, Carlotta is kind of throwing a bit of a diva fit. She's like, I don't like this outfit. I don't like these clothes. I'm out of here. They're like, oh, what do we do? And the old manager's like, grovel. So they like kind of like beg her and plead with her to come back. And she's like, hmm, maybe. There's like a mysterious ghost phantom guy that lives in the theater. And he sends them a note. And he's like, I want 20,000 francs and I want my booth number five to be empty also carlotta she sucks <laughs> and you'll do what i say or else bad things will happen and they're like why does this guy want so much money whatever Carlotta's like well you, you guys better do something about him because that's that's not cool and if you don't do anything you're just as bad as the old manager and they get her to like to do to practice a song they beg they beg and plead with her she does a song and then part of the the stage like the, the curtains or something it like falls on her and almost injures her and she's like yeah i'm not coming to do this performance we're i'm i'm gone and then the the madam i guess she's kind of in charge of all the dancers uh madame jury she she says oh christine can do carlotta's part so that we can have a show today so they let car they let christine sing and they're like oh she can sing Let's put her in the show. The show is a huge success. Uh, Raul recognizes Christine as their, his childhood sweetheart. And he tries to go over after the show to give her flowers. And then she's like, oh, thanks for the flowers, but I can't go out to dinner with you. My, I have a secret master that that, teach, that taught me how to sing. The angel of music. I, I can't go out with you. And he's like, that's nonsense. 
I'm going to be right back with a carriage or, or something. And Christine has a best friend, Meg. She sings about this angel of music that has like come to her after her father died. And he's kind of like a fatherly figure, but they also kind of a romantic figure. And they've also taught her how to sing. And Meg is also like, that sounds crazy. What are you talking about? Angel of music? I guess she doesn't really put it together that the angel of music is the phantom at this point. After Raul goes away and Meg, she's, uh, Christine is left alone. The phantom comes to her through the mirror and he, he takes her into his lair. And that's where we hear like the phantom of the opera song. And he has this weird doll that looks just like Christine. And when she sees it, she faints. And then when she wakes up, she kind of, sees this masked phantom and she takes his mask away and he's like oh how dare you you stupid child remove my mask i'm ugly sends her back up to the rest of the theater the theater had been panicking because they thought that she went missing raul is like where the hell did she go <laughs> um, but she comes back and then the phantom has more demands that christine be the new lead in this it's a new play, but the theater managers are like, no, let's get Carlotta to do it instead because she's back. Uh, so the Phantom ends up putting like some weird spray in her throat spray. So when it's time for the performance, her throat is sounds like a frog. <laughs> the theater people are like scrambling to like fix everything. They're like, okay, well, we'll put Christine and Carlotta's part again. And then there's a stagehand, Joseph Bouquet who's like trying to chase the phantom around like the, the top of this, the theater raftings, I guess you call them. And the phantom ends up hanging him and killing him. And then he drops the body in the middle of the stage for everybody, including the audience, to see. And so everyone's freaked out. And then Raul, he like goes to Christine and Christine takes him up to the roof and they have like this the song where they declare their love for each other. And the phantom, he hears all of this and he's... Like, I must have revenge. Three months pass. Uh, there's a masquerade ball. Christine and Raul are engaged. And there's this crazy, like, dance, song and dance number masquerade. And the Phantom crashes it. And he's like, I have another opera. Don Juan Triumphant. And he throws it on the ground. And he's like, Christine has to come back to me. Carlotta needs acting lessons. And the guy who's going to play Don Juan... He needs to lose some weight because he's he's it's unhealthy at his age. And then the Raul challenges him to like a sword fight, but the Phantom like he has a bunch of trap doors everywhere, and he like escapes into like this wall of mirrors. And then Raul finds out the Phantom's backstory, and the Phantom is actually like is a friend of the Madame Jury, who was in a like a traveling circus, and he was abused there, and he ends up killing his master. And then Madame Jury kind of helped him escape into the theater, and he's lived there ever since. Uh, but the Phantom, as Christine's going to visit her father's grave, he kind of worms his way back into her head, tells her that she's, she sings for him and everything. But Raul's there. They get into another bit of a sword fight. Raul beats the Phantom, but Christine's like, no, not like this. And they go back to the opera house. Raul comes up with a plan to catch the phantom. They do the, the big play, the, the big opera 
performance, uh, Don Juan triumphant. And the guy who's playing Don Juan, he the, there's a part where Pianji's like singing and then he's like, all right, I have to go backstage for the cost wardrobe switch. But at, when he goes backstage, the Phantom kills him and takes his place. And he, I guess nobody nobody knows. Because <laughs> when he comes back on stage, it's clearly Gerard Butler. But everyone's like, oh, that's Pianji. Let's carry on with the show. This place is covered with cops just like waiting for the Phantom to show up. Climax of the song, Christine unmasks the Phantom. And we actually get to see his disfigured face. And then the Phantom sees... Uh, Christine kind of wince at his face and he's like all right I'm gonna burn the whole place down and he cuts some stuff with his uh, sword and the chandelier comes crashing down and people are like running away and like it's almost like the the theater's gonna explode because everything's on fire now then he retreats with her back to his lair and he's like this is all your fault Christine you should love me you shouldn't be with Raul Raul tries to like chase down the phantom with the help of Madame Jury. Raul gets caught by the phantom. The phantom makes Christine choose. Like you, you can either love me and I'll spare him or you can deny me and I'll kill him in front of you. And she ends up kissing the phantom and he realizes that he can't force her to love him the way that he wants her to. So he's like, you know what? Enough. This is too much. You can just take him and go. And I'm going to get out of here. Um, and he gave her this giant ring before. And she comes back to him to give him the ring. And then she leaves with Raul. And the phantom escapes. But not before like looking at his like his toy from his childhood. Which was the monkey that was crashing the symbols together. Uh, so he leaves. And we kind of go back to that like flashback that actually takes place after these events. And you see Raul kind of place the the monkey with the symbols on the Christine's gravestone. And he leaves the monkey there. But he also sees the rose with like the, the black ribbon around it, which was the Phantom's like calling card. So it's like, oh, the Phantom's out there still. And he still loves her. And on the rose is actually the ring that, <laughs> that she gave him back too. So yeah, that's the end of the movie. Oh, and it, it closes with, uh, this new song for the movie, Learn to Be Lonely, because this is an adaptation from a musical. And they added this song for the movie specifically. Which they also did for Little Shop of Horrors. They created a song just for the movie. The, one one thing that I, I said before that was incorrect, all the actors, except for Minnie Driver, sing their own parts. Minnie Driver is actually dubbed for most of the movie, except for this song. This Learn to Be Lonely is actually sung by Minnie Driver, who, oh. who is trained as a, as a singer. So why they why they dub her? Was it just too challenging to hit those notes? Well, the, the person who dubbed her plays her part in the the stage show. I guess they really wanted to that that operatic performance to be authentic, so that they can make fun of it. I guess it's weird because like they make the they see the characters who listen to Carlotta and like put earplugs in their ears. Yeah. But like that is a talented voice making those noises, you know? <laughs> well, it was funny because 
again, like in the first part, I said, oh, I don't really know how to properly rate a song or a, a, a singing voice. You know, like, I don't know. I, I can't review it. I can't tell you whether it's good or bad. Right. Uh, so in the beginning, when I heard Carlotta, I was like, oh, that's kind of what opera singers do. And I'm seeing like everyone look annoyed. I was like, oh, I guess <laughs> I guess this is bad. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was confused yeah, by that because I was like, it sounds good. Like, it sounds operatic. Yeah. It's weird. Like, this movie is, is very strange. And I, I think that's why I like it so much. A lot of this movie does not make any sense. Like, a lot of the movie doesn't make any sense. How so? Well, in 1870, France was at war with Prussia. So, like, no one was going to, no one's going around in the opera to, like, go to this show. The horse that's down there, why is the horse down there? Where those, those are, those are hands holding the chandeliers down there. He, how did he get that bed down there in his lair? Hey, man, he's how been there for a pi- while. Who's tuning that piano? How does he have traps? Like, there's so much of the movie that doesn't make any sense. Uh, what's it? Madame Jury says it. He's an inventor. He's an architect. He's an artist. He's uh, he's all that. He figured it out. He found out a way. <laughs> don't question they it. Don't, they don't. Like, it's it's like there's so much of it that doesn't make sense. Like, the when he switches places with the guy. With Pianji. Oh, okay. Yeah, that didn't make sense. Clearly a different body type. It's like, how did he lose 100 pounds from the costume change? You know what I mean? He doesn't even sound the same. They don't. You notice it. It's very clear. There he is. Like, there's the phantom. Go get him. But then they let him finish his song. And I'm like, oh, well, there's that musical shit. Like, this is where, like, it just, <laughs> it makes no sense. We just have to get through the song. And I was like, okay. So this is, that's just one of those things that I bought. I was like, yes, in real life, this doesn't make sense. But it's a musical. Like, And they let him, they, like, have him beat at the cemetery. But they just, like, drive away. And and Madame Jury knew where the Phantom was the whole time. I think that there's so much of it that doesn't make sense. It's like, why bother? You know, like it's not, it's, you just have to kind of accept it and laugh at it when it, when you see it, then that's, that's, that's my solution. That's how I enjoy this movie. It's so much of it doesn't make sense. I don't even care. You know, it it doesn't even matter. I'm here for the good time. (laughs) I think that's why I got hung up on musicals in general when I was younger, especially. It's like, this doesn't really make any sense. If you really think about it, if you're taking it from a literal perspective, it doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. And like, why would they finish? Why would they let him finish the song if they're there to capture him? Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the suspension of disbelief that kind of has to be thrown at a musical. And I think I was okay with it at this point. Like, I'm at the point in my life where I could watch something like that and suspend my disbelief. And that's when I said, yeah. okay, fuck it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, the, the horse thing, I didn't even question it. The man needs a horse. Okay, fine. <laughs> like, he needs a horse, cool. You know, he's been there long enough. I just figured, oh, he's... He's just brought this stuff in time. I'm sure, like, the catacombs and stuff go throughout the entire city. You know, it's like, okay, why not? At the very end, it's like, let him sing a song. Let him actually, like, reveal his emo- like his emotions and all that. And the movie succeeded in just grabbing my attention and holding it, personally. Yes. Like, all all the other stuff, it, like, doesn't it doesn't really matter. And I feel like if, if you're, like, sitting there complaining about all that stuff, I feel like the movie lost you somewhere else. Yeah, or you just weren't willing to go on the ride. Which, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, an example is like, an action movie. An action movie can have really great action. Like, really great fight scenes and great shootouts. And you'd be willing to forgive the story, which could be bad. 
mm-hmm. but you still enjoy it for like what you're getting out of it. You can't look at the bad stuff and be like, well, this is a bad movie. It's like, yeah, that's a fair assessment. But if you really didn't like what the action film's doing with all the guns and the hitting and the blood and all that, then okay, I'm taking it for what it is. I'm along for the ride. And that's kind of this film. I could definitely see people being annoyed at all those like kind of plot holes, you could say. Just mm-hmm. the suspension of disbelief and just be like, ah, it's not for me. Or you could just go with it and say, you know what? This is really silly, but yeah. I'm, like in they're, like I'm invested. They're, they're in Paris, but like only one of them has a French accent. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> that was one of the funniest <laughs> aspects of the movie is, and it did take me a little bit of time to get into the film because the intro, the intro was really interesting, especially when the chandelier is being pulled up and you have yeah. that effect Mm-hmm. And the way they achieved it was really cool. The way they achieved that kind of transition. So the way you were describing it, the chandeliers being pulled up in the old theater, in the decrepit theater in 1919. Now, in the in the 1919 sections, when Raul is old, it's in black and white. It's shot in black and white with a lot of grain and texture. Like a lot of grain. It, a lot. Like, of, like it kind of looks like, oh boy, I hope the whole movie's not like this. this yeah. Is... But then the color starts coming in and like all the dust and the cobwebs get blown away right they actually filmed all of that practically yeah they had to take multiple passes of it so like for example there's like a a shot of like the statues that have like the light bulbs on them you know like just Mm -hmm. like the statues and they have cobwebs and dust and all that and they're being blown away they had a camera on a motion controlled track that takes the exact same angle every single time the same speed the same movement everything and they do multiple passes of it so they do the first one where it's like all dusty decrepit and they have a pass of a guy walking around with a blow with like a what's it called like a not a blow duster what's it called um like a leaf blower yeah like a leaf blower you have a couple of guys walking with some leaf blowers blowing the dust away (laughs) then they have another pass where are they doing that while the camera is moving yes Yes, they're filming That's it all nuts, as the dude. camera's moving. They're, they, you know, they're doing all this, and they do multiple passes, four to five passes, and in and in post production, they'll they'll take all of those and combine them, and that's how you get that shot, that finished shot of the black and white, the color being introduced into the black and white shot, the dust, the comments being blown away, the light changing, and they did that for multiple shots because it's it's an entire sequence. I I love that that beginning so much because like it. That effect is amazing. And you hear that score, too, that just will will never leave my head. It's incredible. It's It's a great way to start the movie. And it sets you up for like, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You know, (laughs) that's kind of what I it was that kind of like musicality, that kind of intro that came into my head. And it was like, oh, I'm getting ready to see what's happening. They have some great dramatic element to it. It's like, oh, the chandelier from the famous Phantom of the Opera incident. I'm like, oh. It's lot 666, too. It's like so, so on the nose that it's, I, if you don't like that, you're probably not going to like the movie. But if you do, if you can see that and laugh at it, you're, you're probably going to love the movie. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, you could argue it's not subtle, but you know. This is Phantom of the Opera. Subtlety's thrown out the window. <laughs> it, it, for me, it kind of, uh, it made me more invested. I was curious. I was like, oh, what? Okay, what is this? Is there some demonic thing to it? What's the incident? Who are these two people? What's their relationship? I started, like, 
thinking of all these different theories in my head and then you see the shot of the th of the chandelier it's like oh this is a cool way to show the passage of time or not the passage of time but like kind of what time has done to this theater and it's mm -hmm. like we're going into another world where it, you know it was the best yeah. of times it was the worst of times it was yeah i love that lot 666 then a chandelier in pieces some of you may recall the strange affair of the phantom of the opera a mystery never fully explained we're told ladies and gentlemen that this is the very chandelier which figures in the famous disaster our workshops have repaired it and wired parts of it for the new electric light perhaps we can frighten away the ghost of so many years ago with a little illumination Gentlemen. So you have this really beautiful, cool intro, and then you have the people saying their lines. And it's it's not the lines that I have an issue with, it's the accents, because the accents are all over the goddamn place <laughs> these accents are everywhere and it is so distracting and like you'll have like the characters names be what we what we and or something like that but then the rest will be american english or some of them are british english They're, too most of them are british yeah it's it just threw me off so much and i was like Oh, madame, woo, 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 woo. And it, it, I'm like, wait, okay. <laughs> well, you have, you have the, the English accents from, like, the, the theater owners, the managers. And then you have Carlotta's Italian accent, like, very strong, stereotypical Italian accent. And then you have Madame Giry, who is very French. It's one of those things that's, like, it's funny if you, you like, look at it and listen to it. But I, I didn't care. I don't. It threw me off. It, it they have the big wigs. They've got like the the fancy gowns. The 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 operas decorated with with so much gold. Like yeah. it's it's just extra. Like this movie's very extra. And I I it, I don't care. You know, it, I'm all, I'm here for it. <laughs> well, that's one of the things. This movie is extra, and it threw me off. But then after a while, it's like, well, it's just I just kind of forgot about it i wasn't even i wasn't critical about the accents anymore i wasn't yeah really thinking about that i was thinking about the music listening to it enjoying it and kind of seeing kind of getting involved in the mystery all oh, this fan of the opera they keep mentioning it all oh, the phantom of the opera he left the note wait so people know he's around i was i thought that was that was one of my <laughs> biggest surprises like oh so people know that there's this guy who's the phantom the ghost the theater He's been haunting the theater for the past three years. I have a message, sir, from the opera ghost. Oh, God in heaven, you're all obsessed. He welcomes you to his opera house. His opera house. And commands that you continue to leave box five empty for his use and reminds you that his salary is due. His salary? What? Monsieur Lefebvre used to give him 20,000 francs a month. 20,000 francs? Perhaps you can afford more? Oh, get the fuck out of here. Because I thought it was just a guy that lived in the catacombs and nobody knew about it. And people were like, whoa, what's that strange thing? Oh, maybe the wind. There might be a window <laughs> open or something. But it's like, no, he leaves letters. That's how he communicates. And it's like, 
That is so silly, but that is so fucking cool. And it leads to one of my favorite moments in the movie where Christine is gone. She's missing and everyone's trying to figure out where's Christine? What do we do? Do we cancel the show tonight? We're trying to get Carlotta back. And everybody just has notes from the ghost. The new owners have a note. Uh, Raul has a note. Carlotta. What's her name? Carlotta. Carlotta has her own personal note. And it's like, they're all talking about this phantom and he's giving them direction. Number one, they're confused. Okay. Who's this phantom? Who does he think he is? And Carlotta's like, and why the fuck does he, is he hating on me? (laughs) <laughs> it seems you've got one too. Dear Andre, what a charming gala. Christine was in a word sublime. We were hardly bereft when Carlotta left. On that note, the diva's a disaster. Must you cast her when she sees the past of prime? Dear Fearman, just a brief reminder. My salary has not been paid. Send it care of the ghost by return of post. PTO. No one likes a debtor, so it's better if my orders are obeyed. Who would have the gall to send this? Someone with a puerile brain. These are both signed and cheap. Who the hell is he? Oh, for the ghost. It's nothing short of shocking. He is mocking our position. In addition, he wants money. What a funny apparition. To expect a large retainer. Nothing plainer. He is clearly quite Where insane. is she? You mean Carlotta? I mean Miss Di. Where is she? Well, how should we know? I want an answer. I take it that you sent me this note. What's all this nonsense? Of course not. Don't look at us. She's not with you then? Of course not. We're in the dark. Monsieur, don't argue. Isn't this the letter you wrote? And what is it that we're meant to have wrote? Written. Do not fear for Miss Daye. The angel of music has her under his wing. Make no attempt to see her again. If you didn't write it, then who did? Where is he? Oh, welcome back. Your precious patron. Where is he? What is it now? I have your letter, a letter which I rather resent. And did you send it? Of course not. As if he would. You didn't send it. Of course not. What's going on? You dare to tell me that this is not the letter you sent. And what is it that I meant to have sent? Your days at the Opera Populaire are numbered. Christine Daae will be singing on your behalf tonight. Be prepared for a great misfortune. Should you attempt to take her place. Far too many notes for my taste, and most of them about Christine. All we've heard since we came is Miss Daye's name. Miss Daye has returned. <laughs> and he has like these giant skull seals. Oh. Like, how did... How do you even did, custom make that? <laughs> everything is skulls with this guy. Everything is skulls with this guy. Like the, his sword, his his raft, like it's so much. It's but I I love it. So. Yeah, and I think this movie is campy on purpose because you'll have films that I think are so campy. too. Yeah, I think you'll have films that are campy, but they don't. They're not really aware of it. Like they're trying to play it straight and serious. You know, like that's the the whole thing about Tommy Wiseau and The Room, right? He's trying to be a real drama, but he's it's actually kind of bad. This movie is very intentionally campy and campy. And that scene in particular shows it because all the actors are being extra. It's kind of being funny, but not like in a joking manner. You know, everyone and everyone's just playing up their performances, especially Carlotta. And the two yeah. men are like, who is this? Who does he think he is? This phantom of the opera or so, yeah. you know, this ghost. <laughs> it's it's so funny that those guys are like so excited to like buy this new theater and or this new opera house. 
like none of them know how to deal with this. They're in way over their heads. They what they used to do, deal in junk. <laughs> Scrap metal. Right? Scrap metal. <laughs> Scrap metal. See, it's jokes like that where it's like, oh, okay, so you're in on the joke. Like you get what you're doing. Yeah. And the the two the theater managers are playing it up so so much. I love their songs. Yeah. I think the only person who's kind of playing it well, two people that are playing it straight is Patrick Wilson and uh Emmy Ro- Rosen. Yeah. But I feel like True. Emmy has to play it straight because she I think she's the most most sincere character in the film. Kind of and ultimately yes. her leading her to forgive the phantom. Like only a sincere character, someone who's really like in tune with what's happening, like or someone who's very sincere and she is very much the heart of the film, and it makes sense because at the she very she's a end, lot of compassion. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Compassion. She's a compassionate, sincere person, which makes it believable why she would forgive the Phantom at the end. You know, she'd like she she pities him. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone else is kind of playing it up a little bit, and it makes it enjoyable. Except yeah. Patrick Wilson, and or is his name Patrick Wilson? It is Patrick Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Raul. Raul. Yeah. Raul's kind of playing like the heartthrob. Raul's kind of a boring character. Yeah, not a lot of like fun stuff for him to do. I feel like we've, we've had another character like this on, on an episode before where they're like, there's there's not really a lot that they, they can do. They can't have fun like everybody else. Like he's he's a very grounded character, which is funny because he's he's the one that has a lot of the musical training. He's he's Jonathan. Jonathan and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh yes, 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 yes. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, he has the the, the background of, of Broadway and everything. I don't. The other ones do not. And it's interesting that you give it give him the part of uh, of Raúl because his singing's great. I mean, I, I I think his singing's great. I enjoyed it. Oh yeah, but... his sing even amongst all the people who dislike the movie because none of them can sing. They're like, oh, Patrick Wilson is like the only is one of the only singers they have, and the, whoever dubs Carlotta. Yeah, but his character is pretty boring, and I think that kind of goes to one of my one of my few complaints is that the the romance between uh, Raúl and Christine just is is pretty dry. There's there's nothing to it. It's the same way. It's funny that you brought up Bram Stoker's Dracula because it's the exact same way I feel about Keanu and Winona. I just don't buy that mm-hmm. central romance. And if romance is gonna be a big part of your film, I have to be willing to buy it. Romances for me float or sink on the central romance. I think that's why La La Land worked really well for me because I'm like, I bought it. You know, whether mm-hmm. it, it worked for you or not, that's totally debatable. But for me, it worked. And that's why I adore that movie. With this romance, Patrick Wilson and Emmy just don't have that it factor. They don't, they're don't. they not really bouncing off of each other. It's not like I really buy that these two people want to have sex. I don't get that. I don't get that passion. I don't get that romance or that that nostalgia of them being younger like oh my god when we were kids it's so wonderful and i'm so happy to see you it's just like i know there's that song that rule has but it didn't really work on me the which one the one on the on the roof no 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 when he sees her in the play and he walks walks to the back oh the the, little lottie or something yeah i was like i didn't get that uh Mm. if anything i was more invested in the romance between the phantom and christine because it's a lot more complicated (laughs) There's it's, romance there, and there's almost like a sexual desire, but it's also very fatherly, and it's like a teacher. It's really complicated, and it feels like he has an aura over Christine. That yes, she's not sure why, but she she wants yeah, there's, him. There's there's something pulling her to him. Raúl is like the safer, 
choice and also the one that is more uh of her own will like when when they have that that song at the top like he's they're he's asking her to like let let him be the one for her you know yeah all i think all i ask of you i think you know it is is more of a consensual relationship oh no no 100 percent. like the, that's the thing with raul she loves him and she wants him with the phantom it's a bit more of like you have like to love me. <laughs> yeah, it's you have to love me. And that's why I feel bad, but I, I'm not interested in Raul and Christine. Yeah, it's I think the it's more just, fun part. You know, the, the phantom part is more fun. I don't want to say, you know, nice guys finish last, but in, in terms of my tier list of characters that I like, Raul is finishing, not last, but definitely behind Gerard Butler. Because I just think there's a lot more interesting hap- happening with him. And I don't think they do anything they don't give Raul anything to stand yeah. out. He 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 wins the fight against the Phantom the first time, which was cool. <laughs> and, then, and then the second time he he gets bodied. <laughs> he, he he even knows the Phantom's tricks and he still loses. <laughs> he's like he's like a like a necessary character though, because like you you need a good guy. I don't dislike him being in the story because a character like him needs to be in the story, right? You gotta, especially in a love romance kind of thing, you gotta have the good old reliable nice guy. I just wish they had done maybe a little something or maybe just sold their romance a little bit more. Maybe have a scene where Christine and him are talking about their childhood and kind of the things that they, they're nostalgic for and that they are, rem- they're, try- they're reminiscing. I want to see more of that reminiscing. But the only thing we see is, oh, because he, here's my problem with, with Ro and Christine, right? The actors' chemistries aren't totally there for me, right? Like it's no, it's it's not working for me. And the thing is, he doesn't recognize her in the beginning. He recognizes her when she's singing. He heads over to the back. He's like, "Oh, hey, little Lottie, let's go get dinner." And she she gets lured away by the Phantom. The next time he sees her is when she comes back, and he's like, "Hey, can I go see Christine?" And Madame Jury's like, "No, you know, she. It's better that she stays alone." And then the next time we see them together, they're announcing their love for each other. And I'm like, so you guys have really only spent two or three scenes together that aren't <laughs> even really that impactful. I do like the the scene on the roof, though, that the singing that song. The scene in the roof is beautiful. I love that. But I was like, OK, I wish you had put in some more work to really sell this romance. Because, again, romances sink or swim on the on the actual romance. And I just mm-hmm. I was not buying it. It's the same with Winona and Keanu. You know, I, even in that movie, I was way more interested in the villain. <laughs> and and it's funny that we bring up Bram Stoker's Dracula because I think a lot of the complaints I have with this movie, I have with that one. And the things I mm-hmm. loved about that one, I love with this one. I love how grandiose both films are. Yeah. They're theatrical. They're so hyped up on their own juice. But I love it. <laughs> and And yeah. I love seeing that. I love kind of the angles and how big the actors play it oh he's menacing just by his pose you know what i mean the way he's standing and we don't get that too often and both both films have that but man that central Mm -hmm. romance is just not it it's it's something that you're just supposed to accept as like given like oh all of our romance happened already we're just like rekindling it and we're gonna move forward with it because this is you should just accept this part it seems like the attention is on the main characters and or like the characters' interactions with the bad guys, which is Dracula and um, the Phantom, right? And mm-hmm. you could tell the attention's there. I mean, that scene between Christine and and the Phantom 
where he's taking her down to his lair is like 10, 15 minutes. It's a, yeah, it's a there's large... two songs. It's the, the Phantom of the Opera song and then the um, Angel of Music song. Yeah, I guess it the, goes... No, the Music of the Night, yeah. the Mirror, and the, the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, so they spend a lot of time there. So I just wish that if they had spent more time in that first romance, I would have like felt more happy when they do survive and they live you know it's implied that they live the rest of their lives together but i've also would have felt an even bigger sense of of i would have felt more like the character was tragic the phantom you know like i'm gonna oh man like damn you know i sorry buddy but (laughs) i don't know that that's just one one complaint but i mean it's Mm -hmm. it's not not something new it's not something that this film strictly has i've had it with other films so the thing that like bothers me the most in this movie is the flashback scene where you, where you see the Phantom's childhood and that he was mm. like this devil's child circus freak, but like it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not really a circus. They're traveling gypsies, and you have this like super racist portrayal of these gypsy characters. That's like you didn't need. To, why why did you go that hard on these characters? You know. Okay, I see. I see what I see. What you're getting at. I actually didn't interpret that they were gypsies. Like I, I she says that they're gypsies. <laughs> oh, did she? she I, says I, it, I totally, yeah. I totally must have skipped over that. I, Maybe it was the French accent. I get. I, well, I just totally <laughs> didn't even. But I or I might have just not registered it in the moment. But um, and like the scene is like this. It's filmed in a in a way that's like nightmarish almost. Like the camera's yes. like a lot of. I love the camera work in in the movie. Is a lot of canted angles and a lot of movement in the camera, but I don't like it here because it makes the gypsies just look like monsters. Yeah, it does. There's that whole sequence that looks nightmarish. Yeah, and the way that they like grab the coins and he's like licking his lips with with the coins. It's like why why is this so gross? You know, yeah. like it could have been it could have been like a circus. Mm-hmm. You know, and you just have like a circus ringleader dude who's greedy, but she calls them gypsies. So it, it kind of makes like if you're a kid watching this movie and you hear gypsies and it's like, oh, it's these people. And then you hear it later on in life. You're going to have this like negative image. Well, of there this has entire... been a negative connotation with gypsies. Yes. So it makes it even worse. <laughs> it's part of a stereotype. Yes. Oh, and there's I definitely thought that gypsies for a long time were a bad thing. Like definitely, hundred mm-hmm. percent. That, that term, the gypped. Yeah, the the term gypped. It it's referring to the group of people that and are I stereotyped. Had, I had to... no idea. I it, well, I knew that. I, I had no idea that gypsies were like an actual like. Ethnic like I thought group? you. I thought gypsies were people hustlers who are trying to steal from you, and and like that's their motive. <laughs> it's typically brown people. That's kind of like the image that i always had but it was interesting because this i mean i never met a gypsy so i had no idea and i remember in high school we had a class um and we were talking about world war ii and it was like the the nazis weren't only going after jews they were going after um they were going after my other minorities gays and gypsies and i was like wait gypsies like i thought that was like a a a group of hoodlums you know, mm-hmm. I thought it was like, I didn't That's... know that gypsies were an actual group. And she's like, no, 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 gypsies are, and she went on to explain. And I was like, oh, shit, I've been walking, I've been walking around thinking that gypsies were just, that was like a word for like, bad people. 
Yeah, that's how ingrained the anti-Semitism is. Because I think they are considered a cement, a Semitic, Semitic, Semitic. Yeah, it is. And honest to God, I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know where that kind of idea of gypsies came from. Like, there's no show. I, I must have just been like it's, it's in kind the of just air. in in our in some language that that people use every day that these don't really know where it comes from. You know, it's, it's Mm -hmm. like the anti-Semitism is rooted, has deep roots, you know, like I, and they'll, they'll find a way for you to dislike someone or to have a negative idea of someone based off of just preconceived notions. And then you kind of, Oh wait, they were attacked by the Nazis. Oh, they have a a whole other, a whole other rich history. Oh, gypsies is not just a word that you just throw around, you know, like, like you can't be a gypsy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's not just a word that you just uh, you just use to describe random people. It's like an actual collective group of people. And I was like, I had no idea this was even a thing. So I could definitely see what you're saying. Like, you know, especially because I, I must have missed that gypsy line. But um, like having that portrayal, yeah, it's, it's like, oh, it was it was the gypsies. Yeah, and it's like a long like storied portrayal of them so it's and it's super negative i understand what you're trying to do right here's this kid he was born with a with a physical deformation with, with like you know so, some uh, some birthmarks you can call them but you're kind of you you have someone who wants to sell him as a freak you know like make a freak show make some money off of it okay obviously that person is negative it's really shitty yeah you could um, you could have made him look like a pt barnum you know but, uh, which P.T. Barnum did. <laughs> yeah. So there, but the I, greatest I see, showman is a lie. All right, hmm? everybody. The greatest showman is a lie. Don't believe it. Oh, P. yeah. P.T. Yeah, Barnum 100%. was a bad guy. <laughs> but I know exactly what you're saying. Like, especially like the way they're counting the coins, the like the actors use the nightmarish camera work, the way the the way the good to do just brutalize a kid. It's like, damn, yeah. man, you, you don't like, have to go this hard. Like, look at the devil's child. And they don't, they have a bag over his head that they don't even take off. So it's yeah. like, they're just watching this guy beat up a kid who has a bag over his head and they're laughing. I totally see exactly what you're saying in that the portrayal of the gypsies. It's just, oh, it is racist. I didn't even really, I didn't register it when I was watching in the film. But now that we're talking about it, it's like, oh, yeah, like, because, because here's the thing. When I was watching, I was like, oh, these are really shitty people. You know, I just thought it was like a circus or carny. I didn't even, it didn't even register that they weren't gypsies. So saying it now and saying it out loud, it's like, oh, shit. I'm, oh, yeah, that is fucked up. Yeah. It's it's the one thing that I really dislike about the movie. Hey, everybody. This is future Jorge. I'm actually editing the episode right now. And Austin and I decided to uh, do a little bit more research on gypsies and kind of see, get a little bit more clarity on them. And that begins by actually not referring them to that, referring to them by that name anymore. They actually prefer to be called Romani people. Um, obviously, uh, what we call them in the episode is a derogatory term that we weren't 100% sure if that was kind of the official case, but looking into it, there it actually is um so in the wiki for romani people in it says in the english language the romani people are widely known by the 
widely known as gypsies, which is considered pejorative by some Romani people due to its connotations of illegality and irregularity, as well as its historical use as a racial slur. And we were talking about what they believed in their religion, and it's a little bit more complicated. So in the wiki, it says the modern day Romani people adopted Christianity or Islam, depending on the regions through which they had migrated. Muslim Roma are found in Turkey, Bosnia, Egypt, Kosovo, Serbia, Bulgaria, Iran, and a few more countries, forming a very significant portion of the Romani people. In neighboring countries such as Romani and Greece, most Romani inhabitants follow the practice of orthodoxy, I believe I'm pronouncing it correctly. (laughs) It is likely that the adherence to differing regions prevented families from engaging in intermarriage. So that's just, we just wanted to clarify a few things. Obviously, these negative stereotypes go way back uh, even i was talking about how i was wondering where did this come from and i i think from early cartoons and depictions of Rom- romani people in hollywood and in tv media so austin and i just kind of wanted to share what we have found about them after the recording of the episode and just kind of highlight them uh to you know offset kind of what we were talking about the negative de- depiction that they had in the film which is racist there's no, there's no denying it. So we're gonna go back to the episode now. And I, I think that scene is really important. Mm-hmm. That scene is important because it establishes the Phantom's dislike of people. And yeah. I mean, not to, you know, not to therapy this, but that dude's got some serious trauma. Mm-hmm. Going through stuff like that will fuck you up and and shape the relationships that you have moving forward. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I could kind of see why he is possessive, why he's doesn't really like hanging around with people. And I mean, it's not a justification. No, but it is it is a like he's it's why we can feel bad for him. Yes, it's such an important scene for that moment. And at the end, when you know, when she forgives him and when he lets Raul go, you're like, yes, he managed to overcome this like hurrah. Yeah, but now that that flashback is is tainted in a way yeah because they because they go out of their way to make them despicable you know? yeah to, to be like look at these people they're awful because look at what they're doing to a child and you see it's like a it's like a child eight years old mm-hmm. that's oh that's a good point yeah and but what i was saying about the the camera work before it's like i don't like it here because it makes them look extra monstrous but everywhere else the way that the camera like tilts when stuff is when i guess when like the phantom appears really right mm-hmm. like when when he appears through the mirror and he takes her on that trip it's a very dreamlike sequence you know yes and it it i feel like some sometimes the movie can get away with the stuff that's just like super unrealist and, and i'm doing finger quotes unrealistic because maybe it is kind of a dream you know maybe some stuff doesn't really happen in a literal way like when christine is being led through the mirror into the phantom's lair her out what outfit is she wearing like people don't dress like that when they're about to go to sleep you know but it doesn't matter her she gets more makeup as she goes through the tunnel like did she (laughs) apply it it doesn't really matter it's it's a dream you know and i like that you said that the the camera is doing a lot to kind of make it that this is a dream like scenario maybe he has like there's like this he has this hypnotic presence mm-hmm. about him that maybe maybe he's not maybe there's nothing 
maybe there's no uh no hypnotism in like a literal sense like there's no hypnotism there's no drugs it's just his presence his aura you know yeah i i think uh in at least in this film like this there's a lot of different versions of the phantom it was based off of a a book right that has had movies and stuff and in some cases the the phantom is a monster maybe the mm-hmm. in some cases the phantom does have a supernatural um powers or something but i think in this film the way that christine describes her relationship with the phantom he's just literally been in her head like he's been living in the walls he's been like talking to her in the walls from when she was at a very young impressionable age so i i feel like that what's happening there is like he's kind of groomed her okay i was gonna say i was like oh i know where you're headed with this say it man yeah and this is this is like the actual death i know the word grooming gets thrown around a lot in bad faith but like this is like the the case the example to if you're confused about what the word means it's he's telling her making her so dependent on him and taking advantage of how young she is mm-hmm. and she just lost her dad too and he purposely fills that void and mm-hmm. he's teaching her how to how to sing and you know making it like you said making her dependent on him and he's even like and he has an end goal in mind you know something that you didn't mention in the summary but that doll that he has has a wedding dress yeah that doll at the very end that looks like her has a wedding dress and his goal is to have her sing his plays his operas Mm -hmm. his songs like there there are actual goals to this it's not just like uh oh i'm just trying to be i'm just trying to be a nice guy it's like no you very much want to marry her and have her be your like muse have her be your the voice to your to your artistic brilliance you know yeah and i i think sometimes i don't know if he really knows what he's doing he's just like if he's planning like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna be her dad i want to be her angel of music uh, but i'm also want to be her lover i feel like maybe this this guy is just so alone that he mm-hmm. sees an opportunity to to talk to somebody you know and then like this the opportunity becomes obsessive desire you know what i mean and now with Raul coming into it, he's like, uh-oh, I need to lock this down. I need to accelerate my plans. And I like that ambiguity. I think it's I think it's brilliant because I don't think we need to see, we need to know everything. And especially with his intentions and with his backstory, you know, was he aware of what he's doing? Maybe he was, and it would straight up make him a villain. But there is something really tragic about it. There is something tragic about his story, his background. And maybe it's not totally done with ill intent. Like you said, maybe he's just finding he's that lonely. And I mean, at the end of the the movie, what's the song that plays over the credits? Learn to be lonely. Yeah. And in a weird way, it's tragic and it's sad, but it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And I like that because I, I guarantee you this. I would not like the Phantom as much if they had made it overtly clear. Like he wants to bang her because she's hot, you know, or it's like he, he's just lonely and it's he's just sad and and he's just misunderstood and he's not really a bad guy. It's like, no, I I like the grayness in it because he's he yeah. is a he is a bad guy or he he's a guy doing some really bad things. 
but he's coming from a really bad spot and I love that gray area and he is sexy like let's not get let's not get it twisted he is sexy <laughs> and, and the way he seduces you but man does he switch up real quick and it, and when he switches up at, when he's like you venom this he was Gerard Butler was like a few a few inches away from saying bitch he really yeah. and it's scary mm-hmm. but I love that scariness I love that I'm like ooh alright you're yeah, complicated I, I, you can you can tell how hurt he is I think it's it's like a because you can play that in a way where it's like oh this guy's trash you know what I mean and you're just like no no sympathy for this guy yes but I think he the way he, he plays it and the, the songs that he has like I know Gerard Butler's not like a great singer but you can tell how he feels you know what I mean? It goes. It goes back to what you were saying earlier. Listen to what I mean, not what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, okay, is he the best singer? Honestly, I had no beefs with it. But like, what you're saying, like he, I get that loneliness. I get that internal battles, those mm-hmm. wounds that he has that he has not been able to properly address because he's been alone. Anytime, anytime people see him, they're. <gasps> He yeah. can't even show them their face. Yeah, and like some people will will take gripes with like, well, he's not even that ugly. Like it's Gerard Butler, but it, it doesn't. No, but it doesn't it even doesn't matter, matter how ugly he is. Is he he feels ugly? He yeah. feels like his face is the reason he was treated the way he was. But that's not really the case. Someone just took advantage of an orphan. Yes, you know they probably they might have burned his face, and then you know had it could have been a birth it doesn't really matter it's just it's how he was treated would you say that the phantom's anger uh, his expression of that rejection is <laughs> pulling the damn chandelier on everybody because you're so annoyed by yes, not being loved i think it's even more complicated than ours because the truth is the way emmy rossum who plays christine plays it and the way we chose to do it is i think that before patrick wilson's character came along I think that she has the capacity as, as a human being to look past what he considers unlovable. Mm-hmm. Patrick's arrival, and because it's her childhood sweetheart, triggers something in him, mm-hmm. which is a, you know, obviously crouching only to spring, a madness in him jealousy. created from his loneliness, but, but, but not an ordinary jealousy, yeah. you know, a, a, a destructive and then ultimately violent and murderous rage. Mm-hmm. And I think that leads to all the destruction that happens after that, which then makes it impossible for her to really be with him right. because he's, he's actually become somebody who's quite mad. But the tragedy of it is, I think, another time, another place, they could have been lovers. And of course, a lot of people, when they see the film, want her to stay with him. It's I'd the say, same way when you see the musical. I know. You can it feel is. the yeah, women rooting for her to stay with the Phantom. <laughs> I know. I um, know. Now, uh, because people do suffer, and people do suffer yeah. with longing. And having worked with some of the most famous objects of desire in the whole world, they don't think of themselves that way. No one thinks of themselves as the one right. that everyone wants. Right. People, th- people suffer with whatever their own problems are and their own rejections and their own, you know, their own suffering. And it scarred them so badly mm-hmm. that even if people out in Paris saw the scar and didn't react to it, it, he is so psychologically fractured 
that he'd think that everybody hates him, that everybody looks at him with disgust. And that might not be the case. But yeah, like it, it it's not that it's, oh, he's, he's, he's not really that hideous. It's not a big deal. It's like, no, he, he thinks it's a big deal. He, like, it is kind of, it is kind of gross looking, right? But like, he's also murdered people. Yes. You know, we don't know how, at least, at least one person that, that they know of. But in the film, I think he kills two people. And who knows how many people die from the chandelier crashing down on, and on them. And he had every intention to kill Raul. And he had been haunting, he had been haunting the, the the theater for three years and madame jury says keep your hand at the level of your eye so that he can't like strangle you with a rope so how how did why does she know that you know is it because of that flashback or is it because he's been doing he's been strangling people for a while Mm -hmm. we don't know how many people he's killed so their reaction might be oh shit that's the murderer you know not that oh shit he's ugly It, it could be he's a murderer you know that's the guy but he's so like damaged by his the way his appearance has had him treated in the past. He thinks, "Oh, Christine re- is rejecting me because of my face." It's yeah. I think he even says that in the song. Yeah, or yeah, I think that's the case where she's like, "I'm not." He's like, "I don't not I don't love you because of your scar or something." Like she addresses it. It's like, it's "Oh not yeah, she addresses your, it." Mm-hmm. It's like it's not because of the scar. It's because of the things that you've done. Yeah. And man, that gets to him, and that's where he finds the error of his ways. And he's like, "Oh, change." <laughs> yeah. But but I I like that they make him a, a villain. You know, yeah, but he's a he's a tragic villain, and I I, I feel bad for him. I really yeah, do, he... and it makes it a lot more interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of positive stuff stuff about the film to say. You yeah, know, it's it's got some things that maybe don't hold up, but I mean for me the the main romance Patrick Wilson, but man, there's some really cool stuff in there and the more we talk about it the more I'm like intrigued by it. It's like, "Oh yeah, like you know, they're never really like straightforward about the things he's done, kind of how he sees Emmy. Like he sees he he sees Christine in a favorable light, but it's like, "What? To what extent?" Yeah, it you know, is cuz he, he pretends to be her father at the at the at the graveyard or his her father's voice yeah she hear well she thinks it's her father's voice but it's really the phantom and mm-hmm. even he's she's like my father in his dying his dying wish was to send me the angel of music and he totally lives up to that persona he's like i'm the angel of music so he's clearly he's, taking that role on yeah it's it's a little confusing because he calls he calls her his angel of music in the in the angel of music song or uh, i think in the phantom of the opera song he goes swing sing to me my angel or something sing my angel there is a lot of angel music in this like they say (laughs) a lot of they say that a lot so i'm like "Eh, i i lost track of who's who yeah part of me doesn't know like okay is does this guy think he's her dad's angel of music or does he just hear angel of music yeah okay you're my angel of music. That's how people say they love each other, right? Like you're, I'm your angel of music. You're my. It's not, <laughs> it's unclear, but I'm fine with it being unclear. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It it adds to the mystique of it, and it gives us something interesting to talk about. It also allows you to like feel sympathy for him too. I think that's the key, and I think it ultimately goes to kind of the positive message that the film has. That it's like you can overcome your your trauma you can you can let love and music guide you in the right direction to do the right thing 
I I love a good comeback story. Mm-hmm. So now I did want to say one thing. Um, there was one aspect of the film that kind of got a little tired tiresome for me. Is all the singing? You didn't like all the singing. They sing well, most. Of I the like time. the music. I think the music's very entertaining. But I do think after a certain point, it's just like. Okay, they're still singing. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, all right, if you had cut this a few stanzas shorter, this would have been great. But it's just like, okay, now we're getting... Because it's a long movie. It's two hours and 20 minutes, and most of it is singing. So by the end, I was like, all right, let's just get to what we're going to do, you know? I I think I saw an IMDb that it's like only 14 lines of dialogue are actually spoken by The Phantom, by Gerard Butler, the rest is sung. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of singing. That definitely, <laughs> it, it, just, it maybe just feels a little like music fatigue or singing mm-hmm. fatigue. And for someone who's not totally, uh, still not 100% in the musical genre, like it's, it was a, it was a little tiresome. Mm. But that's, honestly, that's not even a big complaint of the film. I think it's more of just like a me thing. You yeah. know, it's like someone saying like, yeah, Avengers Endgame is cool. It's just a little too long. And at the end, there's just a little too much action. It's like, oh, fair fair enough. If you're not in it, you know, I can see that being an issue. Yeah. It was funny. I found this website that's dedicated to the Phantom. I get that. That sounds weird. But like every every single like piece of media that has to do with this story that was inspired by uh, the, the original novel by um, Gaston Leroux. Every single piece of media, uh, she's reviewed it. It's phantomlibrary.com. And she she loves the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, but she's kind of like meh about this movie. And one of the things that she doesn't like about the movie is that they don't sing lines that they sing in the musical. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, so she was like i want more music yeah and but she also did not like most of the singers in the movie they're like they should have they should have found people who could actually sing the opera she doesn't even like amy rosen oh she doesn't no well it sounds like she's hardcore though yeah she's dedicated her her uh free time to reviewing a lot of, it's an incredible archive of like all things phantom like i did not know that there are so many musicals like there's another Phantom of the Opera musical. Did you know that? What do you mean? Like, there's Andrew Lloyd Webber one, and then there's a Ken Hill one. And they, they have different songs completely. Oh, but is the plot the same? See, mostly, because it's based off of the same book. Mm, gotcha. And I think there might even be a third one. But, but really? of course, the, the Andrew Lloyd Webber one's the most famous. It's like the longest mm-hmm. running show on Broadway, in Broadway's history. I, I think it's... It's been in on Broadway ever since '86, and was cut short by the pandemic. Well, and I think their I think their final date is on April 2023. So it's it's back. It came back after the pandemic. It came back. It's so it's up right now because I think they were saying they were going to cancel the show, like they were closing the show, mm-hmm. and then tickets started selling well. But I think in April that's when the show is officially closing. There's so. even a sequel. A sequel to I, the... I read about that. That sounded weird. Yeah. <laughs> Where the Phantom convinces them to go to New York or something? I have no idea what happens in the sequel. I was just like, what? And I, I know she doesn't like it, so I'm like, okay, well. there's. I was on that site for 
quite a while because I was looking up, oh, maybe we can talk about this and you can talk about this. Well, there's there's two Dario Argento Phantom of the Operas. What the hell? There's so much. Wait, Dario Argento? Dario Argento. The director? The director, the Italian giallo director. Oh, he did two Phantom of the Opera films? He did films? two of them. Wait, 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 wait. So, like the uh, like the first film and a sequel? Or yeah, just... well, he did one that's inspired called Opera. And then he did another one called, was it the, I think it might have just been called Phantom of the Opera. Wait, so he just did the, the same film twice? No, it's like, it's it, the, the same source material. But a different interpretation? Different interpretations. By the same director? By the same director, yeah. Huh. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? But That's I think, weird. But, but when people say the Phantom of the Opera movie, I feel like 99% of the time they mean this we're ta- one. We're talking about this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like people are talking about this film, this movie. I, I This is the de facto one, like the go-to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think the reason why is because it is... It's, it was meant to, to appeal to most people, I think. You know, like the, the, the play itself, the, the musical, the Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, is something that appealed to a lot of people. And a lot mm. of people who are really into musical theater didn't really like the musical itself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think uh, Roger Ebert, he doesn't even like the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical. But he liked this movie. He, yeah. gave, it, <laughs> he gave it a three out of four. He's like, it's great to look at, but just don't listen to it. The music is repetitive, but I really liked what Gerard Butler and Emmy Rosam are doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. There is, there is like a, a mass appeal aspect to this movie that that is intriguing. That might throw away some people's like, ah, oh, that's not cinema. That's not art. And it's like, well, maybe, but it's entertaining and it's, yeah. it's really cool to look at and hum along with. Hmm. I love I love the music in this movie, and I think oh I think it's great. I, some people will pick apart the lyrics, but I I really like the lyrics of of the the music of the night. <laughs> I really like the lyrics of all the songs. I think there's every time I listen to them, I I like I hear something more about the the story and the themes and everything. Like the the masquerade song, I think the the idea of the people of the the opera house. They're like ah, the phantom's gone. You know, I, we've had three months of of no more notes. Let's have a ball. You know what? Let's do a masquerade ball. Let's sing about how great it is to to be behind a mask. You know. <laughs> and then the phantom appears, and they're like, "Oh, not you. We, your your mask is no fun. We don't like you." <laughs> I love I love that entrance so much. And I I read somebody say that Joel Schumacher offers nothing to to the movie version of of this story. And like, that's all right. You can have your own opinions, right? You can not like it. That's fine. But you can't just lie. Cause that is, mm-hmm. that was a Joel Schumacher thing. You know, the way that he appears when people are having this grand masquerade ball with the confetti that's just never ending. And then the way that the camera tilts and like reveals the phantom in his red. And like, you, you see everybody look at him and you even see like these guys holding candelabras you know they're like oh shit it's the boss you know like oh we weren't at our posts underground you know that's that's my head cannon <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny and the way he like steps down the the stairs to the 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 music like perfectly synced i don't care if the dude can't sing i'm 
I'm I'm a hundred percent there for that moment. I agree. That moment is super cool because it's like a mic drop. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. you thought you got rid of me? Oh well, shit, no. In fact, I've come with more demands, and if you don't meet them, I'm really gonna fuck you up. That no, that whole entrance, that whole scene screamed Joel Schumacher. Like I don't know how it looks in the play. I don't think it looks very. I don't think it looks as similar or as cool potentially as it, what we got. In it's the like film. a big reveal, right? Yeah. But the way that that it's filmed, you know, like we a, a musical production, right? There's one stage. You can't control the orientation of the audience's heads. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about canted angles in Titanic and how it kind of helps exaggerate the the way that the ship is sinking. But here, it's. It's making us feel like this guy is is, is otherworldly, you know? And he's powerful. And he has he has some kind of power. Well, you're yeah. you're shooting him from a low angle and he's top lit as well. I mean he has a light mm-hmm. above his head pointed directly down. And it's he's the brightest source in frame. So in one frame, you're giving him all the power, power that is unmatched by anyone else in the scene. That's pretty badass. That's good directing, in my opinion. It's, it is good directing, you know, and you have yeah. all these people having a great time. Like, damn, I wish I went to a masquerade ball where I could be dancing with all these people. You know, it looks it looks so fun. It's so their movements are so fluid. And then everything comes to a grinding halt when he comes back and it plays his score. It's one of those things that you can only see in a musical it's why i love musicals so much they're they're so they don't make any sense you know logically like why did everybody stop for this song this guy's singing his secrets to everybody but they still don't know it doesn't matter it's like this weird weird space in media where you can just do these things you can just sing how you feel i don't know it's ah, i love it it's no it's, it's great i have i take umbrage with that line that Joel Schumacher didn't add anything to this because I, I think he made some improvements, if anything. I, I think they're improvements. I haven't seen the play. I can't say, but reading about it, I was looking at some of the I was comparing and contrasting the play right to the film, trying to see how it differs in terms of the story. Did they make big or small adjustments? And it seems like they made some small adjustments. It seems like the story's pretty. They follow the same beat for beat, right? Mm-hmm. Except there are a few changes. One, the play doesn't end like the film does the play ends at the destruction of the theater and that's about it but the film takes has that extra scene where it's like oh let me take this uh take this monkey to christine's uh gravestone or what's what's it called her tombstone Uh, her tombstone yeah like let me just take it to her tombstone and then we get the reveal of the flower with the ring implying that the opera the phantom is still alive pretty Mm -hmm. sweet adding to Adding, like, he still loves her. She still meant a great part to him because of the tenderness that she showed him. The compassion that she showed him. Beautiful. I love that. The play doesn't have that. Now, one thing that's interesting is that in the play, the chandelier falls at the end of Act 1 when the stagehand dies. Mm. After, when the stagehand dies, after Raul and Christine have declared their love for each other. And the Phantom's like, ah, no. You know, <laughs> that's when the that's when the chandelier ends. And I thought, oh, you're going to do this scene now in the end of act one. It doesn't I feel like the film did a pretty good job of ending act one where it was like or not act one. But, you know, like Raul and Christine are going to get married 
or like they love each other and they're going to commit to each other. And Mm -hmm. the Phantom says, you know, like, I'm going to, I'm going to intervene. Mm -hmm. And it kind of just ends. I like that because then we jump three months. It it leaves it on a very ominous note. Okay, what's he going to do? We know he's capable of killing people. We know he's made constant threats against everyone in the in the theater mm-hmm. like this person they're kind of they're they're not in the healthiest mindset they're capable of anything so then to have that in the play be that the chandelier falls then it's like oh it, it just seems a little anticlimactic or it's, it's not anticlimactic it feels too soon whereas mm-hmm. in the movie the chandelier comes in at the very end at the at the emotional height where Everybody has seen the Phantom. He's no longer a Phantom. He is a living, breathing person who has murdered people. And he's declared his love. And the the police are there. They're looking for him. Everything's coming to a head. And then, boom, the chandelier comes down. The thing that was established in the first scene of the movie with Lot under Lot 666. We finally get to see this chandelier come down. Dude, you know what? It's it's Chekhov's chandelier. (laughs) 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 yes but it and that's what i'm saying this entire film we've known about the chandelier we've known that things have gone south we're building up to it and this is this is the final battle this is the climax the point of no return the point of no return and you use it at the end i thought i love that change i love i love that shit i loved it so much then also too it like it makes it gives a reason for the story to be a frame story yeah, like you by having that that goofy filter and everything, and like uh, Raul in the old makeup in a wheelchair, and they're like lot six six six, the chandelier, and then you have it rise up, and it, that's the thing that brings all the color into the film. And this is this is why this this chandelier crashing, the chandelier rising, is what gives life to this theater once again. But it coming down is what destroyed the theater in the first place. It's the fire that it that it created. It's the chaos. It's the the danger. And I was like, yes, putting this in the third act makes so much sense. At mm-hmm. least for me, maybe I'm, a, I'm not understanding it, but I'm like, no, no, absolutely. that is a great change in my opinion. Very good change. Yeah. From a practical standpoint, you know, it's a great piece of, uh, it's a great set piece having the chandelier come down, which they did practically as well. There's behind the scenes of them rehearsing it and... They're like, yeah, this thing is like two and a half tons. You know, it, we have to be careful. If, yeah. If we, if we don't, we could have some people, you know, it could collapse on top of stunt people. So we have to be really careful. Back on the Opera House set, the crew prepares for the crashing of the chandelier. In the stage show, it famously crashes at the end of Act One. But now it comes as the film builds towards a climax. I mean, I've got 30 stunt guys here today and we're dropping this huge chandelier, as you can see. Um, which has all been set up. It's taken a week to set this up, you know, with the rigs we got up above, so it's quite difficult. And we need to give one take at this. So we just, at the moment, as you can see, a lot of work going on, uh, preparing it. Then we bring the stunt guys in and place them around in the orchestra pit and around the seat. So we want to try and get them as close as possible to the chandelier when it comes down. But with only one chandelier to crash, there can be no mistakes, especially for the stunt people, who have been meticulously rehearsed, but still have to be completely focused.
it's great it's climactic it's dramatic it's wonderful and i was like yes this is how you cap it and we started the story with the chandelier and we're ending or we're partly getting there we're at the end and well, now we see what happened to it i it's a great framing device i love it and part of it too is the the phantom destroying his house his home because he mm-hmm. he you can't have Christine, so he's going to destroy all of everything he's known. It's poetic. It's poetic, and it's like, and that person saying Joel Schumacher added nothing to the to the play. It's like, well, him and Andrew Lloyd Webber wrote the script. They co-wrote the script. He directed it, and there, that's a significant change. I think it's for the better. So Absolutely, yeah, he did. He did influence it, and he also added that little tag at the end with the Phantom surviving. It's like, that's a beautiful note, too. Like, again, you're already campy. You're already extravagant. Just go, just take the extra step and just tell us whether he lived or died. And he lives. Cool. This isn't some art house Oscar Beatty film. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be needlessly subtle all the time. I think that's that's why you go see a Gold Schumacher movie. Yes. You know, I. that's what I love about Batman Forever. I just, man, for reals. I think he gets a lot of negativity, and I'm like, I don't think it's warranted, because he's being he's being deliberate about his choices. He's being big and bold. I feel like it is my favorite Gerard Butler movie. Like maybe you could have cast someone who can sing, like Hugh Jackman or, or something. I don't know. Ooh, but... Well, that was a story that he, they were looking for Hugh Jackman. Yeah, he couldn't do it because of Van Helsing. They they talked about casting him in an interview. It's on YouTube, like the entire episode of Andrew Lloyd Webber and Joel Schumacher. They're talking about why they cast Gerard Butler. And they like that he had a rawness to him. Like he's like a, I guess like a guy's guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he's kind of a rough, rough dude. Uh, in another interview, I forgot who he's with, but Gerard Butler's talking about how he was nervous about going to to do a musical he'd never done one and his friends were like you're doing a musical and andrew lloyd the phantom of the opera are you playing the phantom what do you have to sing (laughs) can you sing i feel like it it's a nice contrast too which i think someone in that that episode pointed out that like you have patrick wilson who's like he's a singer you know he's trained he's done broadway he's done stage stuff I don't know if it was Broadway, but he's done musical stuff before. And you have Gerard Butler, who like they had to train to sing for the movie. And you can't train someone to sing for a movie. You know, like that's not feasible. They just have to be good enough, you know. Mm -hmm. And you have this like raw, untrained, imperfect voice against Raul's voice. And I feel like it creates a nice contrast. It doesn't matter that the Phantom has to like you know teach christine to sing beautifully she's she's a natural talent you mm-hmm. know he just gives her confidence to to do what she already knows how to do mm. that's how i interpret it i don't there's there's people who get really upset about how the gerard butler plays the phantom but i i just don't i don't care he's good enough it's he's fun this is my favorite gerard butler movie everything you're saying i agree with absolutely the, I didn't even think about comparing Raul's voice and the 
and the phantoms until you brought it up like actually comparing contrasting it and it's like yeah there is a rawness to it there's emotion behind it there's pain it's gonna be unclean you know it's not gonna be perfect whereas raul is a man of privilege you know uh, he went he's educated he has money he's loved well respected yeah like it it makes a lot of sense of course and putting those two you contrast like their outfits are very different their hairstyles the way they carry themselves but in the the, the way they sing it's just another element of separating these men it works really well now you could dislike the singing but again like you and me we weren't even thinking about it no i like it i wasn't paying attention to it and i was like or i wasn't paying attention to it in a strictly academic sense yeah there's or like a skill-based sense yeah there's parts in some of his songs where i'm like oof, that was not you did not hit that note there's some parts of it where even i can tell like but on the on the whole it doesn't really it doesn't really matter like there's there's professional like professional singers out there that someone on the street could sing those songs better like they had some other people have better voices than people who get paid millions of dollars to sing now we don't buy albums you don't have favorite artists based off of singing talent alone it's how the music makes us feel at the end of the day that's a good point and i agree it makes sense and his singing made me feel sad you know definitely some sometimes creepy i was like oh yeah right, buddy calm down but no it definitely works there was some i thought that the the way that this movie came about was pretty interesting mm, um yeah because it started as a book right it started as a book in 1910 by gaston Leroux, and they made some movies about it one of them starring claude rains um like black and white films maybe we'll we can do those in the future but they all had the phantom be a monster and when andrew lloyd weber i think his wife at the time was sarah brightman she was supposed to do a musical version of it for ken hill who has his own musical version of phantom of the opera and andrew lloyd weber and one of his collaborators they they went to see the show and they were like oh this is a pretty good show i don't know if we want to like do a version of it but uh, it's a good enough show. I don't know what we would even add. And then some time passes and he sees The Phantom of the Opera by uh, Gaston Leroux. And he's like, oh, might as well read this. And he reads it and he's like, oh, this is a crazy book. It's so confusing. There's so many genres it's trying to be. I feel like he doesn't even like the book, but he's interested <laughs> in it. He thinks that there's there's like an interesting idea in there. And mm-hmm. then he's attracted to the idea of making it a, ro- a romance. Because all the other versions of it kind of make the Phantom look like a monster. The Ken Hill version is more of a comedy, kind of like making fun of all like the hoity-toity culture and everything. And they end up kind of working together, Ken Hill and Andrew Lloyd Webber. But Andrew Lloyd Webber wants to go in a completely different direction. And I don't think that there's any bad blood between them, at least from Ken Hill's side. he's he's He seems like he's kind of like, I'm glad that he didn't come and work with me because like i was trying to do something different angela weber's angela weber have i seen angela weber's play no i might steal from his ideas but i don't think he likes he likes uh, the fact that there's two phantom of the operas on broadway i don't know it's like the weird like wait is there beef between you or not <laughs> um but the musical is a big success and there's talks of making it for film for the you know like a hollywood 
film. I believe in 89 or 90, there's talks of it becoming a film. And Andrew Lloyd Webber was like, I want Joel Schumacher to make it because I liked his vampire movie, The Lost Boys. And they became friends. They were kind of working on how they were going to do the movie. But the Phantom of the Opera stage uh, production is a huge success. And the people who are a part of the production were like, well, if there's going to be a movie, why would people come see the show? I feel it would hurt our performance. I don't think we should do this. So Angela Weber was like, you make a good point. No more movie. We'll put it on pause. And in some cases, this might like add a bit of uh, tension between the guy who's going to make your movie and, you know, the Andrew Lloyd Webber, but they remained friends. Ten years pass. We get to like 2000, 2001, 2002, and they they talk about making the movie again. I believe Andrew Lloyd Webber funds part of the movie. Like, I yeah, think about- he bought the rights back from Warner Brothers because Warner Brothers had him. He bought the rights back. His group bought it. And then mm. Warner's bought the distribution rights. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier that like Edie... The, the Wikipedia says 70 to $80 million for a musical. And to put it into context, I grabbed 34 musicals that have been made from 2000 to 2018. Uh, and at $70 million, Phantom of the Opera is the... Phantom of the Opera is number 13 on most, the highest budget. It's above Les Miserables from 2012 and below across the universe and most of most of these movies didn't like make huge numbers notable outliers are the disney movies like frozen and beauty and the beast and lion king which i think they made over a billion dollars with those movies but it is it is a lot of money for a musical moulin rouge was 50 million sweeney todd was 50 million jersey boys was 45 million rent was 40 million so they did put a lot of money into um, Phantom of the Opera. And I mm-hmm. think it shows. Like those, they shot everything on the soundstage in, in Pinewood Studios. And it, it looks really good. It looks amazing. That's my favorite part about, one of my favorite parts about the movie is the, the way it looks. Like I saw the those. The presentation sh- is killer. Yeah, those, those chandeliers, like not the chandeliers, but like the hands holding the candles is what made me stop what I was doing and like start the movie over. I need to watch this thing. <laughs> um we have uh the cast there there's a bunch of people that were going to be in the movie but then had to back out like back in 89 uh they're he was going to cast like the people who were on the broadway to be in the movie but you know 10 years later you can't get those people back and he since then divorced from sarah sarah brightman who was who was christine in the play yeah she played christine there was even uh, a performance for a, like an Andrew Lloyd Webber celebration where she came to do her part in Music of the Night and Antonio Banderas sung the part of the Phantom. Could have had Antonio Banderas play the Phantom of the Opera. That would have been sick. That would have been sick. Like I do like Gerard Butler Phantom, but damn. Antonio Banderas? Oh, it's the Phantom of the Opera. They sing the Phantom of the Opera, not Music of the Night. But damn, that would have been sick. And that I really been cool. Did you see the the performance? No, I didn't. I I love it because it's so clearly Antonio Banderas singing it. You know what I mean? You hear it and like, that's Antonio Banderas. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) No, but that's good. I love that. What is kind of weird, though, is like Christina in the movie is supposed to be 16, right? 
Mm-hmm. How old do you think Amy Rosen was when they filmed this movie? 17? She was 16 going on 17. Okay. Man, she was young. Yeah, and so it does make the, the like romance part of it kind of like a, oh, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, it that stuff is always weird. There, I don't know. I'll say this. I think she did a great job. Oh, yeah. She did a great and, job. And, and to be honest, during watching while watching the film, I wasn't really thinking. I, I thought she was like a young woman, obviously. Um, I was just guessing 16, 17 because I was like, ah, to, sometimes Hollywood will cast tend to cast younger. Yeah. But I was like, no, this is a young woman. Like, I wouldn't say she's a girl. Um, it wasn't really distracting. Emmy, Emmy, Emmy Rosen looks like a woman, you know, even though she's like just 17. Mm-hmm. Um, so I... It wasn't really a, I don't, I didn't, it's not, it's, I didn't think it was weird, weird. And it seems like that's the point that he's supposed to be older than her. So I was like, it's, it's not like it's glorifying this. It's like, it's kind of calling it out. Yeah. Even, even with Jared, I think Jared Butler was like 30, 33 at the time. And Patrick Wilson was 29. So it's kind of gross. Like looking back at it, like, oh, their, mm-hmm. their age differences are pretty problematic but that was pretty common especially in those times it was yeah it was standard practice and what's kind of weird is that people were kind of like well why is the phantom so young you know like i feel like that was the phantom what why is the phantom so young in this new version in the 2004 Mm. version and i'm like i feel like that that's a better thing if you than being him being like an older guy like a so yeah that's that's what i have for now yeah so that's all i have cool so let's move on to quotes yes let's move on to quotes this is the part of the episode where in lieu of a five star system we summarize how we feel about the movie with a quote from the movie it can be our favorite quote it can be a a quote that summarizes uh that reviews the film or it could be about the conversation we just had george usually goes first George usually breaks the rules. I'm actually adhering to the rules today. Nice. I have one quote, and I really like it. And it's from one of my favorite aspects of the movie. It's actually Gerard Butler singing. I liked it in the film, and I like it even more after our conversation. And to me, it kind of symbolizes how I feel about the film. And it does symbolize one of my favorite aspects of the movie. Um, When he's bringing Christine into his lair. And there's like a cool shift where it becomes like it has a bit more 80s influence in the music. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that scene. Uh, And basically the song goes, um, sing once again with me, our strange duet. My power over you grows stronger yet. And though you turn from me to glance behind, the Phantom of the Opera is there inside your head. And <laughs> number one, it's like, yeah, his, the movie's in my head. Like it's, I, I've had, I've kept humming the music. It's in my head. Mm-hmm. I can't stop thinking about it. Um, it is one of my favorite scenes of the movie when he's bringing her down, like into the lair. He's almost has her hypnotized, but not really. There's a strange allure to him, and I think Gerald Butler as the Phantom killed it. I can't you know strictly speak on the quality of his singing in terms of quality voices but it fits the character fits what they're trying to do if yeah i think it works nice that's a I, that's a great song I, that's what i'm saying like the lyrics of the of the song they mean stuff later on when you like look at them like oh that's i mean something a little bit more than i thought it did the first time mm-hmm. uh the one that 
I picked is from Masquerade. Love, I love that scene. It's so fun, and it's kind of everything I love about the movie. It's like really fun. Um, and there's the line that I chose was, "Masquerade, take your fill. Let the spectacle astound you," which is what this movie has in spades. Spectacle in a in a good way. In the except for the the gypsies thing, it's mostly in a in a light, fun, enjoyable way. The music is great. I, Every time I watch the movie or think about the movie, I have to like play some of these songs over again. I added them, some of the songs to my playlist to my Spotify <laughs> playlist. I think it's the I think it's the two. It's uh the, oh the music of the night and the Phantom of the Opera. Those nice. are the two songs that I have, and they're great. Yeah. Well, that about does it for our episode of the Phantom of the Opera. I uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. You can follow us on social media at retrograde underscore pod on twitter and instagram and tiktok we have a youtube retrograde podcast and we have a patreon which will have a few episodes on there when we i feel like by the next episode it'll be up with all of our stuff there with multiple levels um any, any level will give you access to our Discord where we can talk about movies. You can throw some suggestions our way. $2 is like the basic level. will give you at least one of our Patreon episodes. The $5 level will give you all of them. And the $15 level is just because you have some money that you want to give to us. You know, you don't get anything extra except for the title of executive producer. Which if you like the sound of being an executive producer... Of retrograde podcast i will not stop you from giving 15 dollars to us <laughs> no we appreciate any and all supports and again if you can or don't want to that's totally fine no worries these retro reviews will still be free so don't even worry those are not going anywhere and we will be back in two weeks bye bye <laughs>